From the outside, the Orlando Public Library is not what it seems. If you had to guess based on its aesthetic, you would never guess that it's a library. In fact, you'd guess, I bet, that it's an art museum. The exterior is all gray and craggy, a form of brutalist architecture. If you are not an architecture fan, join the club, neither am I, but I'm very curious about architecture and how it works. So let's talk about brutalism, what that means. It's a specific style. The Royal Institute of British Architects defines brutalism as, quote, a style with an emphasis on materials, textures, and construction, producing highly expressive forms, end quote. That, that's a little bit technical, so I'd, I'd add that it's kind of like big, huge blocks with little emphasis on making them what we would call pretty. Sort of what makes brutalist architecture what it is is that it's kind of ugly, but but like in an interesting way. Some things are called brutalist that I really enjoy. Some things are called brutalist and I go, that is not a very attractive building. I don't really like looking at that building, but some of the factors that the British architects point out include rough surfaces, massive forms, unusual shapes, and expression of structure. To me, brutalist buildings kind of look like a building that you didn't properly gift wrap, almost like it's missing the pretty outer layer. You can see the structure, almost like you can see like bones and muscles on a body. You can see the columns and walkways and stuff like that. You can see the rough surfaces of the walls. It's, it's almost like the first layer has been removed and you can see the stuff underneath. The Orlando Public Library looks exactly like that. It's strikingly gray, rough in texture, and asymmetrical. There are these tall, monolithic towers that rise into the Orlando skyline, and when you get close, you can plainly see the lines of the concrete, like someone forgot to sand down the rough edges. It's beautiful in its unusual qualities. And the grayness doesn't go away once you're inside. At random spots throughout the library, the gray rough walls are inescapable. Sometimes behind the scenes where guests are not even welcome. Sometimes inside of a music studio. We'll talk about that in a minute. There's a giant gray column. Large parts of the children's section have arcing passages with that concrete texture. Easily the most stunning feature of the design is the central staircase. There is a massive skylight right at the top and it sends beams of sunlight directly into the canyon of gray below that stretches through the four floors of this library. It's so striking, so unusual, and every time I visit it, it's impossible to not stop for a moment in that stairway and enjoy the view. The sunlight, the concrete, and the golden glow of the library hallways beyond. I've spent my fair share of time in this library. In the early days of this show, I'd visit at least once a week. It sits in downtown Orlando between our friends, the Orange County Regional History Center, and the iconic Lake Eola, whose fountain is so essential to Orlando's character that it's become our city flag. I would peruse the Florida section on the fourth floor, write at study tables, and collect stories in the solitude of its quiet floors. I even bought my collection of Zora Neale Hurston stories from their library store a few years back. So when I received an email a few weeks ago inviting me to the library, I was thrilled. A librarian at the Orlando Public Library is a listener to the show, and they invited me to pay them a visit. I arrived when the doors opened, alongside two dozen other folks ready to start their day. Some people had backpacks, others with their children, others maybe just looking for some relief from the hot August sun. All of us, all the same, entered the library as equals. That is what libraries are for. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, a day at the library, how the Orlando Public Library came to be, how libraries are changing around the world, and what we can learn from the open doors of everyone's own community library. I know we spent a lot of time in Orlando this season. I won't deny it. I love my town, but that focus is because I felt like I haven't gotten a chance to give Orlando the love that it deserves. And frankly, you know that phrase, think global, act local? 
That's always been a core idea of this show, but perhaps even more so this season. We're thinking statewide this season, but writing about my town has been a fascinating way to talk about these extremely important statewide issues. And it's in hopes that you'll turn an inquisitive eye toward the things that we share. My town, your town, there's so much in common. So this is my invitation to you right off the top. If you're listening to this episode and you have a spare moment or you're just curious, go visit your local library. Pick up a library card, peruse their tomes, their services, their shelves, meet a librarian, hear their story, sit in a comfy chair, read an old favorite book of yours. Bring the podcast along with you. I think we're pretty good library listening. If if you want to listen to the show while you're perusing a library, let me know. I'd love to know that, that we accompanied you on a trip to the library today. But let this be a reminder. Your library is not a scary place. It's an inviting one. In fact, for many people, a library is the most welcoming place in town. And that's exactly how I felt when I entered the lobby that day and met my new friends. They are Nathalie Ruiz and Andy Cates. Here's Nathalie introducing herself. My name is Nathalie Ruiz. That's N-A-T-H-A-L-Y R-U-I-Z. I'm the Community Outreach Coordinator at the Orlando Public Library. I went to college at UF and I ended up graduating as an English major and I had the idea that I wanted to work in libraries because I was always going to the library at school. and. Um, and so I, from Orlando, when I moved back, I applied to work here. I started as a shelver, and I was like doing circulation clerk, quest line, and now I'm into community, the community outreach coordinator now. So 14 new positions for branch outreach specialists. So it's 14 locations that have like their own specialists for their area, and they're going to be putting on programs. So I'm more focused on like doing tabling at events, at like health fairs, and in, in like um, like we go to come out with pride, we go to veg fest, all that stuff. So that's usually gonna be me. And then if you ever see someone doing like a program somewhere. It's mm-hmm. probably one of our specialists, and um, they're kind of assigned for a certain area. So if anyone needs something in that specific area, we'll call that specialist to um, see if awesome. they can arrange something. And here is Andy. I'm Andy Cates, and I work in the Melrose Center on okay. the second floor. Um, so we're a pretty unique location where we're teaching the technology to everyone. We're making it accessible to everyone in the community. How did you get into this field in the library? I've always been curious because I have I have friends who work in libraries, and I'm always, they always have different backstories that come to the same place. So how did you get into yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, prior to coming to work for the library, I worked as a dog trainer for 10 years. No kidding. So it was wow. a very big change yeah. <laughs> in my lifestyle. Um, but the company that I worked for went out of business and I had to come up with a new plan. I just kept thinking all the years I spent in middle school and high school going to my local branch and coming out of high school, that is where I wanted to go, but I didn't think I was smart enough to work at the library. Um, so I went into other fields. Um, so when I needed to come up with this new lifestyle, I went back to the library to the same branch that I sat at all those years and got hired. We chat in the lobby for a while until we begin exploring. Over the course of the next two hours, we crisscross the library from top to bottom. We find ourselves in the young adult section with a space reserved for teenagers to have some privacy and to socialize. We find ourselves at their expansive Disney section where they have records from a private employee newsletter dating back decades. We find ourselves at the Florida author section where I peer along the shelves for familiar names of former guests. We stop by the shop where books, CDs, records, cassettes, and more are sold. Outside of that shop, there is an awning from an old Orlando building hanging above, a relic in plain sight. 
We hang out near a stage with a piano hidden behind a wall where they host performances and readings on the first floor. We chat about a future event they're hosting, famed author Neil Gaiman, known for such classics as Coraline and American Gods, and Art Spiegelman, the astounding mind behind the iconic graphic novel Mouse. They're both going to be in Orlando in November. That's amazing. Andy and Nathalie show me the displays that have been built by librarians to showcase the work of the artists and their unique styles. Everywhere we go, there's something to discuss. The art on display, the specifics of the department, and the astounding breadth of rentable items that the library has to offer. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Early on, as we trace the history of the museum, we find ourselves in maybe the most important part of the library, both as a function and in its history. That is, the children's section. Andy asks me a question while we're in the children's section. It's an interview question that's thrown at me, actually, from the interviewee. Uh, they ask me the following. Do you remember what your children's book, would, uh, favorite children's book would have been? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, actually, oh, my God, I'm only thinking of YA <laughs> books. My favorite children's book was, I mean, it was probably all the places you'll go. It was probably Dr. Seuss because I'm yeah. basic. I also like uh, Boom Chicka Pow, was that it was? With the, yeah. with the palm tree and the letters yeah. falling off of the palm tree? Yep. I like that one a lot, too. It's hard to not think of that when you're in the children's section of a library with the beautiful art and nostalgic titles all around. But the children's section is more than just one department. It's actually part of the library's history. In the heart of the children's section in the Orlando Public Library is where it all began. You can actually see the dividing line as you exit this section. There is a clear divide. That is because, decades ago, the entire library was just this section of the library where the children's section now stands, with the floor stretching above it. If you visited this library, or if you're going to visit because of this show, you'll see the children's section and where it stretches above, it is an extremely small section of the library. It's about the size of a pretty standard sort of small town library, but the Orlando Public Library expands way beyond that. You'll come to know soon, it's an entire city block, but this section was where it all began that way was the entrance so okay so but and then this was here when this yeah. was built in the 60s it, this, yes, this isn't this that whole building bu this was that building yeah this part of the building oh wow okay did it have this you know the concrete to yeah, it yeah so all this concrete is from the original building wow it's all the original johansson architecture so these are the nearly 60 year old original mm -hmm. structures of that yeah. building that we are in right yeah, now. yeah exactly so it still had this aesthetic of this gray concrete aesthetic and then yeah. they just expanded it outward when they yeah moved? exactly so when wow. they expanded it they just tried to match the the same like look what is today a wall of windows facing out at the street was actually the front door. Almost like a plant growing from a seed, the library has expanded, growing outward and upward to its current form. But even that seed was not the beginning. Long before the children's section was the original library, a retired police inspector donated a massive collection of documents to the city of Orlando, and from that, the city's first library was born, the Albertson Public Library. So originally when the library started, it was the Albertson Public Library in 1923. It started, um, essentially, like there was a, a local women's club called the Cirrhosis Women's Club of Orlando, and they were already running like a circulating library for their members, and they were kind of petitioning and, and trying to get the city to create a library um, and eventually Captain Charles Albertson decided that uh, well he was he had a collection of like 12,000 books he was really like into genealogy and things like that and he was looking for uh, to donate his collection uh, I guess they didn't have space for it in New York he was a part-time resident in uh, Winter Park so he donated his collection to the city um, in with like a agreement that they would create a library suitable for all of those items they ended up creating the Albertson Public Library um, which looked completely different mm -hmm. uh, 
um, from there, a bunch of people donated their books. So it started with Captain Alverson's 12,000 collection, book collection, the books that the Cirrhosis Club donated, and then um, community members that donated their books. Um, and that was the original collection. Charles L. Albertson was his name. No relation to the Albertson's grocery store. I did check. Don't worry. Are you saying Albertson? Albertson, yes. Like Albertson's? Like the grocery store? Yeah. yeah. Captain, <laughs> Captain yeah. Charles Albertson. I was like, is it like the same guy? <laughs> no. Okay. Listen, you don't, okay. You, you guys are know. laughing. You don't yeah. know. You would, There's me, always connections. The connections yeah. you find in Florida history of yeah. like, that guy's the same person who did this? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Anyway. <laughs> Albertson was a police captain for the New York Police Department. As was extraordinarily common around the turn of the century, which is when he lived, well-off northerners would travel to Florida for their vacations in the winter, and Albertson was no different. He spent his cool months in Orlando for years. He donated this massive collection of books to the city of Orlando in 1921, and with the collection of books now in their possession, the city could build a library. The structure was completed in 1923, 100 years ago. We're actually celebrating the 100th anniversary of the library this year. It was similar in construction to other libraries of that era with these marble columns and a general Greco-Roman vibe to the whole construction. Libraries were places of scholarly learning and that original 1923 library was meant by design to reflect that. What's remarkable is that that original building was in the same spot as this library, right next to the lake at the corner of Central and Rosalind, with the old courthouse that now is the History Center just nearby. An art piece reflects what the neighborhood looked like years back. There were homes that shared the same block as the original library. Now, the whole block is the structure of the OPL. But the beginnings were humble, and the collection has actually survived. On the top floor, we take a walk through the special collections, the Disney Library and the Florida Collection, but soon, Nathalie disappears into a back room for a moment while Andy and I chat. And when Nathalie returns, they have a book. What have you got? What is so, this? So, um, this is a book, La Bouillère's Characters, and this was um, part of the original Albertson collection. Um, so, this is why it's not accessible, because if you see this, it comes right off. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's old and brown, withered with the front cover detached from the spine. But when she opens the book and reveals behind the front cover, the treasure is revealed. Albertson's signature, a hundred years later. So it'll have the book play, the captain, um, the Albertson Public Library, and it also has his signature. No kidding. Mm -hmm. Wow, can I touch it at all? Sure. Okay, wow. That is amazing. His actual signature right there on that piece. That's crazy. Let me see. And then, um, yeah, and it's just a really old book. Obviously, it's not in the best condition. No, but still, um, I mean, the fact that it exists is incredible. Mm -hmm. Paper does not last very well sometimes. This is one of his books. She tells me that there's a whole collection in the back of his original books, and I request to see them. There's a touch of hesitation. Naturally, I'm a guest. I don't want to bother the, the special collection of old books that they have, but they generously oblige, and we pass through a doorway into a back hallway. The concrete structure, the iconic design of this building, is actually visible inside this back room. It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere in the library. We turn a corner into a dark room, the blinds closed, the lights off, with dim sunlight creeping in through the blinds. Here, away from the public, sits Albertson's collection, protected for posterity. Look at this. <laughs> That's amazing. I would say from here, we're not going to touch anything. Just I'm to not going to. Sure. I'm going to keep my hand <laughs> yeah. back here. Just to make sure nothing's getting messed up. Keep my hand in my pocket like when up. I go to a, uh, like, a uh, like my dad would tell me to do. Wow. Wow, pictures, Spanish pictures drawn with pen and pencil. 
you know, you know, it's right on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, some of these are, are just, I, I can't help pointing. Some of these are just like, look at the, look at the cover on this one. Look at the cover on that yeah, one. Yeah. I love, I love like old, like book binding. It's yeah. just beautiful. I mean, and, and then a lot of these are obviously not in amazing condition. They're quite old, mm -hmm. but they are, they, the fact that they are here. I love when you could see this old, the old handwriting on the side. Mm -hmm. That was the way that they would label the sides mm -hmm. of books too. Wow. My goodness. So these are from this original 1923, a woman's war record. These are from the 1923 yeah. library. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I think these are actually, from what we know, the, so it's the Albertson collection, but a lot of them are actually Kevin Charles Albertson's books. Um, wow. They, these were, okay. Wow. These were his books. Mm -hmm. So they're going to, they're, the plan is to digitize these so that people can have access to them. I think, I'm not 100% sure what they want to do with the collection as far as like if they're going to digitize every page. They have to be very careful with all these. You know, of course. The pages are very like, you know, uh, sensitive. Sure. Um, so I'm not 100% sure how or what they're going to be doing with that. Um, and I don't think they have us repair because that's another option I was thinking like, are we going to repair yeah. them? Or I have seen, like I've seen those repaired books where they just mm -hmm. take that original content and then they just shove it into a better binder that keeps yeah, it a little safe. But, but these so are, this, yeah, and this yeah. paper is also not exactly yeah, yeah. sustainable. A lot of this paper You don't paper want to just is, put just any glue on it. Right, exactly. It's so stiff to the point that you're like, is it going to yeah. crack? I don't want it yeah. to crack. Thank you so much for letting me in here. I, 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 am, I can't help but just be wandering and looking. No one is looking for these books anymore. Plenty more relevant ones have replaced them, but they're invaluable now. Relics of the first iteration of this library, one born of generosity so many years ago. We pass a litany of individuals on computers, working, taking classes, watching videos. Soon we descend the stairs to the third floor where the Florida Authors section resides, and a bunch of quiet desks are occupied by folks reading books and newspapers. On the opposite end of that floor, where there are no books for rent, is another section, a display of something very important to the library's history, the bookmobile. An article about the bookmobile, actually written by our friend Nathalie, is on the website. The library had been around for 26 years by now. It was 1949, and the library was trying to reach residents that didn't necessarily live close enough to the library. The Cirrhosis of Orlando Women's Club wanted to make it so the library could be on the road, so they raised 6000 bucks, enough to, quote, purchase a school bus and convert it into a mobile library that would make scheduled stops and distribute library materials across Orange County. End quote. The state legislator added funds to help keep the bus running, and soon books were being brought all over the expansive miles of Orange County in the first half of the 20th century. It was, quote, the first countywide library service provided in Florida, end quote. And they provided a vital roadmap for the future of the library system. Quote, these bookmobile stops would later inspire branch locations, end quote. Basically meaning, if there was this many people that wanted to get a book from the bookmobile stops, maybe they needed their own branch of the library service. They opened many of the existing branches thanks to the bookmobile stops. Soon, the service evolved and books could be sent by mail as well. With the branches and the mail service and the library successfully spreading across Orange County soon enough, the bookmobile wasn't actually necessary anymore. A, a, a bittersweet thing, a, a chapter closing, but the library was in a new place by the time the bookmobile was done. By 1979, there was no need for it anymore, and the library was on the brink of some very serious change. 30 years was a long time, and in fact, the actual main building of the library had already undergone a transformation. The bookmobile, by 1979, was discontinued. The city of Orlando, as I've said so many times on this show in the last couple months, grew so much in those middle decades of the 20th century. Walt Disney World was announced in 1965, and the city's growth just 
continued on an upward trajectory. The library system was growing, but the main branch needed to grow with it. So the old stately governmental library had to go. What followed was the first version of this current form, the one that became the children's section of the library. You're not going to believe how they built this incredible structure. It was constructed by John M. Johansson, a brutalist architect whose incredible works are all over the country with similar textures, intense styles, and pretty fascinating silhouettes. And so how they built this thing is they would put up these lines of, of wooden boards that would make this wall around it, almost like a container, like a mold, you know what I mean? Sort of like something that you would put the material into. And then they would pour the concrete into the mold. So what that means is, I described the library has this sort of rough texture. That's because it has the imprints of the wood against the concrete. Andy says that you can actually see repeated sort of fingerprints of the wood that was used <laughs> in the creation of these concrete walls. It is astounding it's so beautiful every time that i i see this place i'm just blown away by it so they would just fill in the mold and then they'd reset and fill it in again so it has this uneven imperfect surface to it it's it's pretty beautiful but that small footprint would prove insufficient within two decades it was beautiful and distinct but there needed to be more an expansion was in order the 1960s version just wasn't cutting it anymore quote it's 60,000 square feet of space had become crowded within five years after it was finished and because its impressive concrete interior walls couldn't be moved reading areas gradually filled with shelves of books end quote the library had outgrown itself so in 1986, as Orlando continued to grow, the director of the Orange County Library System, one Glenn Miller, saw fit that the building add on. Much of the building's current form came from this expansion. Glenn Miller was a unique leader, credited for a lot of the progress that came to the library during this era, because Glenn had a very specific ethos in the way that he thought of library patrons. He created a fake library patron named Harry Smith, meant to represent all library patrons, an average Joe of sorts. Harry Smith is the taxpayer whose taxes fund the existence of the library, and therefore the library should be geared toward him. This is a quote from Glenn, quote, The reason we're here is because the taxpayers decided they were going to have library services, and we got hired to give them those services to respond to their needs. This building is Harry Smith's. End quote. The new library was certainly large enough to contain all those needs. What had once been a building on the corner of a block had now taken over the entire city block. Quote, the 290,000 square foot building at 101 East Central Boulevard fills an entire city block and is the largest public library building in Florida. End quote. That was 37 years ago, but the fact remains, it's the largest library building in Florida. Which is what stands today, a testament to a century of commitment to providing books and access to information for Orlando and its surrounding county. There's no need for a new main building anymore. After three iterations, this concrete castle provides the space and structure alongside the branches that the library needs. The Orange County Library System was officially formed in 1980, and this library was built in 1986, and now there's no going back. With this structure, everything can grow, which brings us... To the present day. Over the course of this trip through the library, Andy and Nathalie quietly mention things that the library offers and I am increasingly stunned. If I included every audio clip of them listing a service, it would be the following. One of the two of them saying a thing that the library offers and then me saying something like, that's remarkable, that's incredible, oh my god, that's unbelievable. I just kept saying the same thing because frankly, I was pretty speechless and I was about to get more speechless when we talk about the Melrose Center. But I'm going to provide you 
a solid list of some of the things that the library provides. Alongside the obvious things, books, DVDs, braille books, books in other languages, accessible books for all sorts of people throughout the community, there's so much more. They offer a passport office where you can get your photo taken. That's on the first floor. They offer computers for people with disabilities, computers that allow deaf or blind folks to have access to computers if they don't have something like that accessible anywhere else. The library incredibly offers social workers that can help people with their cases. The library's website lists the following services that the social workers can provide. Career skills training, counseling slash mental health, food slash SNAP benefits, government services, healthcare slash marketplace, immigration, information on housing, and reemployment guidance. That is unbelievable, the amount of things that these social workers can provide thanks to the library. Let's state it plain. Orlando has a large unhoused population and access to services that help people find work or housing or government support they can be hard to come by. The library offers unhoused residents of Orlando not just somewhere to spend some time in air conditioning throughout the day, especially in these hot summer months, but also somewhere where they can get help with government services thanks to these social workers on the library staff. It is an invaluable service. I cannot overstate how important it is that this exists. It is a reality of our yeah. community, right? Yeah. That as a community, we need to do more to help people. Yeah. But the library does everything that the library has the space to do, right? Yeah. So we have social workers that are at our branches and here all the time, mm. um, assisting people with housing needs, with food stamps, with finding housing, with finding anything that they need to get them moving forward. Um, we teach career uh, building classes, we help with resumes, practicing interviews, wow. and teaching all the basic skills they would need. And we try to make everything accessible to everyone, regardless of their situation. Hmm. I mean, the social workers thing blows my mind. So mm -hmm. are, are, they, are these, these people are employees of the library, these social workers? Yes. Yep. Yeah, they are employed um, by the library. We have like one that is specifically at the main library, and then I think we have three or four others that kind of circulate at other branches. Yeah. Um, and those are kind of first come, first serve. And then the one here, you can make appointments anytime, but they can also give you a call or send an email, different things like that. Wow. And they can help with all kinds of stuff. Um, I believe they're helping with like SNAP applications mm -hmm. upstairs um, on certain days and things like that. Um, so anytime someone has like a question, because um, really, you know, your average staff member is going to have answers on sure. all these kinds of things because people do come with a lot of different scenarios that they kind of need assistance with yeah. so it is really helpful to have the social workers as like an option as an wow. offering it's completely free they don't need to do anything they just need to call and make an appointment um, or go to one of the branches when they're available um, to talk with somebody and have like help specifically for them on top of that the library also offers borrowable wi-fi hotspots you can literally check out temporary internet access that you can bring home that's important because if you remember during covid lockdowns when classes were attempting to get started online for students a lack of internet access for some households became a glaring issue. The borrowable hotspot could offer homes like that internet access for free with their library card. It's the sort of thing that proves exactly the point of library. Libraries are thought of as homes of books, knowledge, education, but there's so much more than that. There's a word that kept coming up in my conversation with Andy and Nathalie. Opportunity. The library is a place for opportunity. Which brings us to our last stop on the tour, the Melrose Center. 
Outside of the Melrose Center is a wonderful collection of beautiful photographs detailing the library's expansive, incredible history. The faces of librarians who once ran this place in decades gone by. But the Melrose Center itself is unlike anything I've ever seen. Named for the Melrose family that provided the funding for its existence, this section of the library is on the second floor and it, quote, expands the role of the library as providers of informal learning and technology education, end quote. This section is filled with studios that provide education and training in all sorts of technology-based art forms that most people normally wouldn't have access to. The, the equipment is essential to this. They provide this equipment for people to use so they can learn about an art form that maybe they've never touched before. Maybe they need an opportunity to have this equipment so that they could, they could get this work done. I started this podcast and I bought a microphone and I recorded it in my room, but there's a world in which I could have recorded episodes of this show at this part of the library it's it's unbelievable here are just a few of the studios there's a video production studio with a green screen wall an audio production studio a photography studio there's a giant stage where you can learn about show production there's a video wall that you can project your videos onto maybe you can film in front of them there's some booths where you can record audio on microphones they're even adding a two-person podcast studio booth soon there's a classroom where students can learn improv there's a virtual reality and game design room for people to test out games that they've created or just try out simulations on the rigs the two standouts for me were the music production studios and the amazing Fab Lab. Let's talk about that music studio. We met Michael, who's a librarian that works in that studio. He explains what this place is for and what they do in there. Oh, wow. And I know I'm like, what are we talking about? I'm running you through here because the audio studio is only open for a short amount of time. And I want to make sure you see it. Did it say studio in I'm bringing a microphone into an audio studio. Oh my! So, welcome to our audio production studio. Are you joking? This is amazing. Yes. <laughs> this is an incredible. Look at that. No, come on in. Come this way. Huh? Oh, this was an example. Oh, perfect. Wow. You're joking. This isn't, guys, this rules. Yeah, it's also free. Isolation room. <laughs> <laughs> and So, yeah. Uh, so, you can come in knowing absolutely nothing. And we will teach you how to use the equipment in here so that you can come in, pass the assessment, and record your heart out. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Th 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 that, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. So I saw that you have people making songs in there. I'm sorry, I'm Nick. I'm recording. <laughs> nice, nice to meet you, Michael. Is it right if I'm recording? No, that's okay, okay, great. So we're recording a recording studio. Okay, I was gonna say. I'm sorry, I brought a microphone into a recording studio. That's what but it's for. They you. I see those po pictures on the wall of people who have who have worked in here. They've made songs in here. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So that's a fun one. That yeah. is actually a series that we put on with um, the UCF PBS channel. Okay. So this is Malrose in the mix. This is basically our tiny desk concert. We find a local area band. We say, hey, come into the studio. We'll pay you a little bit of money. You do a 20, 30 minute set, we'll record it, it goes on PBS. That is awesome, that's so um, cool. So we're hoping to expand it a bit. You see all the pictures there, we, what we used to do is anybody who had studio access mm. uh, would be allowed to sign on as an assistant engineer and come help out the session. Great. COVID hit, we didn't do that. We right. just put out the latest season where it was just us. Um, and we're in between options. We're trying to figure out, do we want to bring next season back and do it the OG way? But we bought this new um, interface with Dante capability. Oh, wow. And we've got a Dante card at the live stage. Wow. We're like, okay, we can put them on stage and still get our nice clean studio yeah, recording for yeah. the on air. 
That is incredible. Kind of give it the best best of both worlds. How lucky do you guys feel to get to have a space like this to play around in? I was here for three months when I suggested that interface, yeah. and they were like, okay, cool. And I'm just like, what? I used to wait like a year before saying anything like that at a regular yeah. job. Yeah, and that's they're like, amazing. Yeah, they're like, oh, you want to spend something grand? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's make it fun. I'm like, all right. Well. What a space. I mean, I mean, you could do you could start an entire business from here from like your most right. media angle. So right, we've totally. seen some people do it. Then we move to the Fab Lab, where a functioning R2-D2 sits by the window, alongside masks of Sauron from Lord of the Rings and the Predator from the Predator franchise, all of which were fabricated here in this facility, alongside dozens of other things that were throughout the library and inside of this lab. I'll let Andy explain what this place is. Wow. Yep, so we have foam smithing classes, so you can build masks like those over there. We have the Orion laser cutter and a glow forge over here that you can utilize. Um, so we'll teach you how to use all this. We have um, like prop making classes, our boombox class, like Michael was telling you about, um, which is a collaboration between our audio studio and our fabrication lab. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have open labs three times a week for you to come in and work on your own projects. So once you learn how to use the machine and you pass an assessment that says you know how to use it independently and safely, it's here for you to use. How exciting is it for you to get to see stuff getting made in here? It is uh, incredible for me yeah. because, you know, I, I've worked in other areas of the library. I worked in branches um, and they all have like a special quality, right? Yeah. Um, you get to see kids learn something new. You get to see adults getting out of a situation and every area has something special. Yeah. But Melrose is super neat because yeah. everyone comes in excited and passionate about yeah. what they're coming in to do. Um, yeah. And you just see that fire grow in them as they go through the classes, as they pass their assessments, as they're gaining access to a bunch of different places. So it's really neat to be able to talk to these people and mm -hmm. see like what they're passionate right. about and help guide them. Are there classes every day? Every day. Yep, we are here seven days a week, open all the time. Wow. Yeah. And um, it's a big thing on like accessibility too. You know, yeah. these things are really expensive. Like, yeah, yeah you of course. That. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. really expensive. Um, maybe they're, you can't hire someone to do your photography or you mm -hmm. can't hire someone to like, or maybe you're just Oh, you want to make a video reel if you're auditioning yeah. for something, if you're sending something off to a hiring exactly. to casting yeah. department. You have a place you can make a video you if you want to record your EP. To that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's just very, a lot more like accessible. And I think like you mentioned earlier, it's just someone just wants to try something. They have this opportunity to find out that they might enjoy it. Yeah. And we have people come in who are in a tough situation, right? Like nothing's going right for them. Right. Everything's sort of a struggle right now. And they're able to utilize different portions of the library to help get them together. But just like we see in schools, like that creative part is left out in yeah. a lot of places. Right. And sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes you need that creative fire in you to know that there is good, right? Like yeah. I can still do good things. It's not just a constant struggle to get the needs. Mm -hmm. I can also come in and give something for my soul, yeah. right? Something that makes me happy and makes me motivated to move on, not just yeah. to survive, but to enjoy life. And that's what we have here. So some people come in in like a really bad situation, but yeah. they sit down at the editing bay and they're working on music. Yeah. And for three hours, they have joy. All of this, all of it is accessible to residents of this county. All they need is a library card and approval, and you can take classes right here at the Melrose Center. On the day of this episode's release, there are classes in video and audio production, photography, design, and even acting classes, including some audition work. You should have seen me walking through this section of the library. I was mouth-hanging open, speechless. Luckily, Andy and Nathalie were able to fill in. They had a lot to say. 
I kind of asked it earlier, though, where I said, like, what does it mean to get to influence people for this stuff? But how do you guys hope that the perception of libraries, especially this library, is changing? Like, how do you guys hope that it is, it is adapting to be realistic to what libraries actually are? And, and how do you feel like you can, you're making that impact? Uh, so for me, since you know, every day I'm working with customers who are coming in, I want everyone to feel welcome coming in, yeah. right? So I want to be able to create that safe space. Mm. Then anyone feels comfortable coming in and asking a question. Mm. So it all starts there. If, if someone is too nervous to ask what else we have going on in the Melrose Center and they just walk in, they see this, and then they leave, they mm. have to be able to ask that question, right? right? What what is drawing you here? Yeah. Come talk to me and like help me find a way to to guide you. So as long as the library remains a welcoming space for everybody, yeah. I think we're doing half the work. Yeah. Right. Ha have the resources available to everyone, and make sure they feel welcome coming here. That's great. Natalie, yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think like part of like I said, like part of my job is really just sharing stuff about the library all the time. Um, and I, I love the library because also yeah, like I mentioned earlier that I utilized it when I needed things, when I needed the computer, when I needed to take a class or whatever. So just like kind of having that like uh, barrier of accessibility kind of taken mm -hmm. for me growing up and just seeing how much it's like innovated and changed and kind of taken even more barriers down and like having fine free is like such a big deal. I've known That's so crazy. many people. Yeah. I, I'm like I've known so many people have been blocked because they just had so many fines and things mm -hmm. like that. So I'm really happy about that. And um, just like kind of wanting to make sure that people know that they can access all kinds like this is a place where you have access to information access to personal growth to yeah. personal development yeah. to um, advancing yourself just personally or, or professionally or in all kinds of ways so I think really yeah just kind of that we're making it accessible that we're letting people know and um, yeah I just want people to interact with the library as like a place where they can really develop themselves and develop like their own desires and things like that because um, yeah it's all just here for free and uh, we're all really happy to like share it with you mm -hmm. and we're all like doing our best to like develop things even further for you I come back to that word I said earlier opportunity this place is filled with it. No matter your station in life, no matter where you are, the library is filled with opportunity to discover, to grow, to evolve. I think the library gets a bit of a bad rap. All libraries do. You think of being shushed. You think of them as being quiet, studious places where you're not welcome unless you're working really hard on homework or doing work. I mean, even fees are a huge problem. If you don't return a book on time, you have to pay a fee. Well, the Orlando Public Library actually does not do fees anymore. They told me that someone had a book that they took out of the library in 1986, and when they announced that they weren't doing fees anymore, that person brought it back, they received no fee for the book that they checked out over 30 years ago, the year that the, the library opened. My goodness, no fee. Unbelievable. Now, not every library has that, but it's a trend to make libraries more welcoming, more open to the average Joe, to Harry Smith. The, the taxpayer, the visitor, the person who, who should be getting something out of the library. This place should be for them. The library has books, classes, guidance, or just a quiet corner for you to take a moment for yourself in. It's not a cold place. It's not an uninviting place. It's a place that has opportunity for you. So the next time you see your library, the next time you have a spare moment to step inside and see what they have to offer you, I implore you to do so. I think you should stop in. The library is for you.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad to be here and so glad to share about a place that means so much to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I've gotten some reviews lately that really mean a lot to me. Thank you for doing that. Truly, it, it genuinely helps the show grow. If you want to see more about the show or some pictures from the library and its history, you can do so on the show's Instagram at WFMPod or on Facebook at WFMPod, or you can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. I would like to thank Andy Cates and Nathalie Ruiz and the entire Orlando Public Library for having me just a few days ago. What an honor it was to talk about a place that is so special to me and a place that I think you should pay to visit. Even if you're not an Orange County resident, go check out the library and see what makes that place so distinct. And I am telling you, go check out your library. I bet you haven't been in a little while. I bet they have more than you realize. Go check them out. Hell, I just listened to an audiobook. I just listened to Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant on audiobook that I rented from my library system, the Seminole County Library System. An amazing, an amazing listen. I'm so glad I did it. I bet you have access to audiobooks and books and ebooks from your library. Go check it out. Seriously, I'm telling you, you won't regret it. All the music used in this episode was originally composed. All right, folks, we are back at it next week with the penultimate episode of this season. We're going to do a little housekeeping, talk about some topics we haven't gotten to cover this season, stuff that's come up in previous episodes that we've pushed to the side. And also, frankly, I want to talk about something that is very, very important that is happening in the state of Florida, and that is book bans. I want to talk about the history of book bans. I want to talk about some of the books that are banned in Florida right now, talk about why they're banned, and get into a little bit of Florida history that is on the periphery of some episodes we've talked about this season. So I will see you next week for that brand new new episode until then be good to yourself be good to others drink more water and go gator and muddy the water have a great week i will see you next monday